Uh, let me tell you of a story about a man who by many accounts has lost everything. Estranged from his wife. Children barely talk to him. Grandchildren that he hasn't met. This is a heartbreaking tale. This man, for over 20 years of his life, invested into a wife and children, and today no longer sees them, no longer hears from them. But what is equally heartbreaking is that the story that led to this is the story that led to this. Uh, this man didn't want his wife. He wanted other things. Uh, this man wanted his children, but not the children before him. He wanted things his way. And in the end, he got what he wanted. He wanted his sin. He was advised not to act this way. He wouldn't listen. He was warned about the hurt and the destruction that he was causing. But still, he wouldn't listen. He sought advice or got answers from sources that told him what he wanted to hear. And in the end, he got what he wanted. He wanted life the way he wanted it. But in the end, what he wanted proved to cause him grief and anguish that he was not prepared for. The loss of his family. This is what sin does. Sometimes the very thing that we want can cause massive heartache and anguish. When the Lord gives us exactly what we wanted. And this is the story of Lamentations. It is a story of Jerusalem wanting her sins and not God. Jerusalem would not listen to the word of the Lord, would not listen to the prophet Jeremiah, who is warning and pleading with Jerusalem to come back. Turn away from your sin and turn to the Lord. Jeremiah warns them not to follow after false prophets, for they will lead you astray. But what do we see happening? Well, we see Jerusalem following false prophets. We see them turning away from God and turning to their sin. Paul tells Timothy that there will be people who reject sound teaching and will accumulate for themselves teachers who will give advice that their itching ears want to hear. Friends, the rejecting of sound teaching is exactly what Jerusalem had done. They had not listened to Jeremiah, but listened to the false prophets among them. Jeremiah had warned them, but they still trusted in their lies. A prophet of God was meant to warn the people of their sin, that they may turn from their sin and turn to God. But not these false prophets. They deceived Jerusalem. What we see here happening in Lamentations 2 then is the outcome of following false teachers, of following false prophets rather than God. Last fortnight, as we looked at Lamentations 1, Lamentations 1 described that dramatic public grief of Jerusalem from the viewpoint of an abandoned widow. And last fortnight, we heard her grief-stricken cry. 
Today we are looking at Lamentations 2. And we are seeing the same response to the destruction of Jerusalem. And today we are hearing from a reporter. And this reporter is giving us a tragic report. The, report, the tragic report is that the agent who has caused this grief is God. God who poured out his wrath against Jerusalem. The tragic report is that God has poured out his wrath against Jerusalem. Today we'll be looking at the following three points. Point number one, the reporter's comments. Point number two, the reporter's cry. And point number three, the reporter's conclusions. The reporter's comments, the reporter's cry, the reporter's conclusions. Let's look at that first point together. Point number one, the reporter's comments. Our reporter here in Lamentations is trying to tell us what has just happened. They're telling us about the destruction of Jerusalem. They see the destruction of Jerusalem. And they say, the Lord did this. The Lord has judged and destroyed Jerusalem. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. How the Lord has covered daughter Zion with the cloud of his anger. He has hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. Without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has torn down the strongholds of daughter Judah. He has brought her kingdom and its princes down to the ground in dishonor. These two verses speak of how Zion, how Jerusalem has come under God's judgment. That from being God's bride, whom he loved, they have become a widow. Last week, Raph brought us God's word from Judges chapter 6. And we saw how God used neighboring nations to discipline the children of Israel. This discipline was to awaken them to their plight, that they had forgotten God, and that they needed to cry out to Him. And God disciplined His nation by removing His hand of protection from them. That when the Midianites and the Amalekites came, God had departed. Let's contrast this with what we see here. Before us, we are told that the Lord, it is the Lord who attacked Jerusalem. And we see this powerfully described in verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 and 4. In fierce anger, he has cut off every horn of Israel. He has withdrawn his right hand at the approach of the enemy. He has burned in Jacob like a flaming fire that consumes everything around it. Like an enemy, he has strung his bow. His right hand is at the ready. Like a foe, he has slain all who are pleasing to the eye. He has poured out his wrath like fire on the tent of daughter Zion. Look what our reporter has told us in these two verses. The power of Israel has been abandoned. The Lord has removed his hedge of protection. He has removed his right hand. He is no longer looking after his people. That mighty hand and outstretched arm that was used to defeat nations, 
that mighty hand and outstretched arm that was used to rescue Israel from Pharaoh and the Egyptian army? That right hand has been removed. As the Babylonians came, God had left. The power and strength of Israel had departed. He had removed his mighty hand. The question is, where did God's mighty hand go? Did it just vanish? No. What do we read? Verse 4. Verse 4 says that this mighty hand is now against his own nation. That right hand has strung his bow against Jerusalem. That mighty hand was with the Babylonians. With his mighty hand, he has poured out his anger against his people. The encounter before us is like being told after a car crash that your insurance company is no longer representing you, that your failure to pay has resulted in this. And to make matters worse, that same company that you thought was representing you is actually representing the other party. The very company that you thought was meant to help you is now against you. And that's what we're seeing here. On the one hand, that almost feels like betrayal, that God has betrayed Jerusalem. However, when we realize Jerusalem's story, we realize that it was Jerusalem who betrayed God. Jerusalem had followed after her idols, had delved into sin, had sought advice from false prophets. And how did God respond? Well, he gave them what they wanted. They said, God, we don't want you. We want our idols. We want our sin. We will listen to false prophets. And God said, okay, you can have them. I'm out of here. And more than just leaving, more than just saying I'm gone and withdrawing that right hand, God in his wrath then uses that right hand to discipline Jerusalem because they had not listened to God. They had not listened to the prophet Jeremiah. They wanted their sin. They continued to follow in their sin. And God then disciplined them. His wrath was poured out on them. Verse 5 to 9 tell us how unrestrained this destruction was. The Lord had destroyed everything. We even see that the temple itself, the place where God had placed his name, has been destroyed. Uh, this is communicating. It is showing us how much God had severed that relationship with his people. Look at the strong language that is used in our passage. God has spurned. Or it could say God has despised his king and his priest. They have been dismissed. The Lord has rejected and abandoned his altar, his sanctuary, the temple. And friends, what do we see in response to this destruction? Oh, we just see brokenness. We just see brokenness. Verse 10 tells us that the elders have no idea no idea what to do from here. The ones who had seen hardship before, had seen tough times, had seen despair, well, they just sit in silence with dirt upon their heads. No idea how to move forward. 
the young women who once danced with joy in the streets. They have bowed their heads to the ground. There is no joy in the streets. There is just pain. There is just anguish. Friends, what we see here in these first 10 verses is the reporters' recounts and observations, their commentary of what has befallen Jerusalem. And this destruction has been met with mourning, has been met with lament. This is the saddest day in Jerusalem's history. Jerusalem's walls have come down. The temple has been destroyed. The people have either been killed or gone into exile. And God has left his people. The scene before us is just heart-wrenching. And that to not be moved by what has befallen Jerusalem would have been near impossible. It would have been like seeing the tragic destruction and the loss of hundreds of lives at 9-11. If you've seen the footage, just the, the planes just crashing into the buildings, explosions happening, fire, bodies diving out of buildings, just seeing the carnage, just seeing the horrific scene before you, and then hearing the reports of families and loved ones saying and speaking of their hopelessness, saying, we don't know what's happened to them. We don't know if they're living there. We don't know if they've gone. We don't know where they are. To see their anguish, to see their pain, it would have just been so difficult not to be moved. It would have been so difficult not to be brought to tears. That's what our reporter sees. They just see the destruction of Jerusalem and try as they might just to present the facts Our own reporter struggles not to be moved. Our own reporter struggles not to be moved. And this brings us to our second point. Point two, the reporter's cry. Let's hear our reporter's anguish cry. They say, my eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed. Because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. Our reporter sees what's happening and their heart just breaks. They see infants dying in their mother's arms. A painful and heart-wrenching scene. They see grief. They see heartache. The pains of their beloved people. And all they want to do is help. But they can't. They just don't know what to say. Look what our reporter says. They say, what can I say for you? With what can I compare you, daughter Jerusalem? To what can I liken you that I may comfort you, virgin daughter Zion? Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? Our reporter is almost recalling that grief-stricken cry of our abandoned widow in chapter 1, verse 12, who said to us, is it nothing to you? Is it nothing to you, all who pass by? Look around you and see, is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me? Do you hear her cries? Her cries have told us that no one else has experienced suffering like she has. She who knew the embrace of God, who knew what it meant to have the Lord's favor, the Lord's mercy, to be comforted in the Lord's arms with that mighty hand of protection. She who knew 
what it meant to be in the embrace of God, has now lost that embrace. God has departed from her. She has lost that mighty hand that protected her and knows what it, now knows what it means to have that mighty hand against her. She says, is it nothing to you all who pass by? Look around you and see, is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me? Our reporter observes this also. They see the suffering and anguish that has never been seen before. And so in trying to offer now words of comfort to daughter Jerusalem, they can't. When trying to think who could help and heal this poor widow, humanly speaking, no name comes to mind. Our reporter then recounts what led to Jerusalem's suffering, what led her to this place. And it was Jerusalem's sin which brought her here. Instead of listening to the Lord, she had gone after false prophets. She would go after things that would tell her her sin was okay. She would go to those that would satisfy her itching ears. So she neglected the Lord's instruction and followed the things of this world. And we see this happen at multiple points in the book of Jeremiah. One example, let me bring that up, is Jeremiah 27 and 28. We see one of these episodes where Jeremiah warns the king, warns the priests to turn back to God, to listen to what he's saying, and he warns them, don't follow false prophets, for they will lead you astray. But what did they do? Well, they listened to the false prophet Hananiah, and they were led astray. They trusted in a lie. Led astray, Jerusalem now succumbs to the Lord's wrath. And our reporter observes how the nations now ridicule her, how they mock her. And our reporter says to us, verse 17, The Lord has done what he has planned. He has fulfilled his word, which he decreed long ago. He has overthrown you without pity. He has let the enemy gloat over you. He has exalted the horn of your foes. The Lord had told his people that this is exactly what would happen if they would not obey him. The Lord had told his people in Leviticus what would befall them if they would not listen. Let me read from Leviticus chapter 26, verse 14 to 17, which says, But if you will not listen to me and carry out all these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and so violate my covenant then I will do this to you. I will bring on you sudden terror, wasting diseases, and fever that will destroy your sight and sap your strength. You will plant seed in vain, because your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you, so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you, and you will flee even when no one is pursuing you. Jerusalem experienced a great tragedy as she is suffering deeply and her enemies ridicule her. 
Our reporter has expressed her own tragic response to Jerusalem's fall. And in the midst of her despair, in the midst of the darkest day in Jerusalem's, in Jerusalem's history, in the midst of sitting in sackcloth and ashes, in the midst of being in the depths of Sheol, our reporter says to our abandoned widow, wake up, wake up, wake up and bring your cries to God. Wake up and bring your cries to God. And this leads us to our third point. Point three, the reporter's conclusions. Our reporter brings some final conclusions to the story before them and tells Jerusalem, bring your cries to God. Verse 18, the hearts of the people cry out to the Lord. You walls of door design, let your tears flow like a river day and I give yourself no relief, your eyes no rest. One commentator suggests that verse 18 could be translated like this. My people, my people, pour out your heart to the Lord. To the walls of daughter Zion, our reporter here is referring to God, namely our rock and our fortress. My people, pour out your heart to the Lord, to our rock and fortress. Let your tears flow like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief, your eyes no rest. Our reporter is telling Jerusalem, bring your cries. Bring your cries to God. Pour out your heart to Him in your lament. No longer turn to false idols. No longer turn to the things of this world. Those things can't help you in the midst of your despair. Those things can't help you while you're in the depths of Sheol. The one who can rescue you from those depths is God. Our reporter continues to say to them in verse 19, keep coming to God in your lament. Just let your emotion and your words come from your mouth like water. God knows what you're going through. So vocalize your grief, your grief-stricken cries to God. There's no reason, there's no need to sugarcoat them. He knows what you're feeling. So tell him. Our reporter tells Jerusalem, tells us it's okay to cry out to God. It's okay to depend on Him. Just keep crying out to Him, he says. As David cried out in the Psalms, he would have cried out continually. Friends, there's a reason why there's over 50 Psalms of lament in those 150 Psalms. It's because David continually poured out his heart, continually cried out to the Lord. And so we're told, do that also. Do this also. Keep crying out to the Lord. The reporter then addresses God and asks him to see the state of his people, the state of his bride. He says, look, Lord, and consider whom you have treated like this. Should women eat their offspring, the children they have cared for? Should priests and prophets be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? I think of, think of the most heart-wrenching thing to occur. Think of the most heart-wrenching thing to occur. Perhaps you're thinking of the sudden death of your baby. Perhaps your mind goes to when your spouse told you they are leaving you for someone else. Perhaps you recall the moment when your child says they're no longer coming to church. Our reporter describes the most heart-wrenching thing they see. They have seen the destruction of Jerusalem, people dying in the streets, and that this destruction was caused by God. They look and see what has happened. 
The reporter recounts women eating their own children. They see priests and prophets, those who had claimed the Lord as their inheritance. They see priests and prophets dying in the temple. The reporter goes, Lord, this is the most painful thing I have seen. It's breaking my heart. Young and old lie together in the dust of the streets. My young men and young women have fallen by the sword. You have slain them in the day of your anger. You have slaughtered them without pity. As you summon to a feast, they so you summon against me. Terrors on every side. In the day of the Lord's anger, no one escaped or survived. Those I cared for and reared, my enemy has destroyed. Friends, do we hear how much our reporter hearts aches for Jerusalem? All they can see is pain. All they can see is anguish. There is no joy to be seen here. And in the midst of their heartaches, as they turn to the Lord, they ask Him to see. And they ask the Lord to act. They are no longer turning to false prophets, no longer turning to those that will satisfy their itching ears. They come to the Lord, the one who can see, the one who can act, the one who can offer real help and provide real answers. The question we ask at this point, when did the Lord, when did the Lord respond and act to the response to the cries of Jerusalem? When did He answer their prayers? When did He answer their pains and anguish? Well, we see the answer to this prayer in the Lord Jesus. Our New Testament reading tells us that when Jesus came, He came to fulfill what the Lord had promised. In Jesus, He gave hope. In Jesus, He gave relief. Let me read, reread our New Testament reading from Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 21, which says, He went to Nazareth where He had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day He went into the synagogue, as was His custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's in Jesus that the Lord returns to his people. It's in Jesus that he comes to free the exiles. It's in Jesus he comes to heal the broken and to restore them. Friends, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our sufferings, we are reminded here not to seek the empty promises found in idols. Not to seek the empty promises found in sin. They will not comfort you. They will not heal you. 
hours of Netflix will not provide real comfort to a broken relationship. Consuming yourself in work will not provide healing to an aching soul. Going out shopping, consuming alcohol or chocolate will not fill the empty voids that are left. Our reporter tells us, cry out to the Lord, for he can see, he can act. And as we cry out to the Lord in our lament, our answer has already been given to us. The gospel message, the work of Jesus, reminds us that Jesus has already come. Through his work on the cross, he has saved us. He has redeemed his children. And through his continual intercession made possible by the Spirit, he continues to work in our lives. He continues to transform us. He continues to provide us comfort. Friends, he who saved us while we were captive and enslaved to sin is at still at work today, saving us and helping us in the depths of our despair. There is no need to go looking for answers somewhere else. For it is in Jesus that the Lord has given us his answer. So those who are hurting now, those who are hurting, won't you come to him? Won't you bring your cries to the one who can see? The one who can act? Our cry needs to go out to Jesus. And our comfort needs to be found in him and his promises. Friends, as I shared with you last fortnight, the gospel is more than how we become Christians. It is in the promises of the gospel, the promises of Jesus, that God continues to grow us in our Christian walk. It's in the gospel that God continues to comfort us in our laments. At all times in our life, during all seasons, we need to be comforted in the gospel. We need to be told what Jesus has done for us, what he is doing for us, and what he will do for us, his people. Let's come to him now in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you praise. We give you thanks for how you have answered our grief and our cries. Thank you how you have done this in our Lord and Savior Jesus. In him we find comfort. In him we find hope. Father, we pray, forgive us for those times when we have sought comfort in the things of this world. Look for answers in others rather than you. Father, we help us by your spirit to continue to help us to come to Jesus, the source of all comfort and hope. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks, musicians.